scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila to the left circle. Passing to Yell, a shot. Save made by Al Aguila. Three about another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, let's get things going. First of all, welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome. Second of all, this hour of Flame Stocks underway on a Tuesday, January 9th. We are busy this hour on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Daily Flames Roundtable with Derek Wills a little bit later on. It'll be Willsey, Wes Gilbertson, and yours truly. But let's kick off this hour on a Tuesday. Uh, lots of Flames news and lots of fascinating news elsewhere around the NHL. It's time to say hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now hello frank happy tuesday it's been a uh, it's been a busy last 24 or 48 hours for you how you doing i'm hanging on it's uh yeah i definitely thrown a curveball last night with the cutter gauthier trade and so uh new trade targets board freshly posted on dailyfaceoff.com for your perusal and uh it's been a lot happening oh it is like just posted oh yeah just for you because I uh, I was looking. One cheese and, uh, pizza just for you. Oh, thank you, sir. Five bucks, five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. Okay, I'll uh, I'll kind of peruse while we have this conversation. Uh, obviously, the Cutter Goche, Flyers, Ducks, Drysdale stuff is huge. We'll get to that as well. But it's funny here locally, Frank, you uh, flip the calendar, and, and it feels like over the last week, here we are on January 9th, that uh, the, the buzz and the intensity and the intrigue and the speculation surrounding Calgary and their direction and their potential trade targets has picked up. And all of a sudden, the discourse on Noah Hannafin has returned on is it better to trade or sign and all those types of things. Um, I'm just – have you heard anything new in your circles and from who you talk to? Have you heard anything new uh, that would be different from the status quo of late when it comes to Noah Hannafin and his future with the Flames? No, I haven't. Um, I think they're still – I think the one thing to point out here is that things have been really amicable between the two sides. Like, I think there's been some frustration at some point on the Flames part because, you know, going back to October and where the Flames were at, they essentially said, what's it going to take to get this done? And they got an answer from Hannafin and then they said, okay, we'll do it. And that's when he got cold feet. And I think the Flames were kind of, taken aback by that. Like, Hey, we did everything you asked us to do. Why aren't you signing? And I, I I don't have a real clear answer as to why that was, but Mm -hmm. I think that's left some uneasiness. And it's not to say that the flames aren't intrigued about the idea of revisiting it or, or would, but I think it's just, it's left everything kind of floating out there. And that part hasn't been easy. What what is your kind of I, I don't know risk re- risk rewards the uh, the wrong way of putting it uh, maybe cost benefit analysis of signing Hannafin to the type of deal that they almost signed a number of months mm-hmm. ago or trading him like it, from from the outside here it seems like as close to a win win that you might get in this scenario if you're the Flames but how do you uh, evaluate it? 
Yeah, I don't know that I quite come out at win-win. I think on the one hand, he's a really solid option for you at a time when you don't have very many defensemen under contract for the foreseeable future. You know, you're looking for pieces that are going to fill out your group should you become competitive again. And basically what you'd be paying is is real live market value. Um, so there's no discount there. It's, you know, we're talking 50 million bucks and you're talking being pretty locked in for a while who someone that you're comfortable with. Um, and so I've said all along that no matter where the flames are at, it's not, you know, it's not really a, you know, great situation to be in to, to say goodbye to all of your pending unrestricted free agents, right? Like you, you need to keep someone in order to bridge yourself to wherever you want to get to. It can't just be all futures if you're trying to turn this around in, in two to three years, which I think is ultimately the front office's goal. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the fact that he had verbalized to you last year that he wanted to play in the U.S. and then made you know the sort of backtrack that he did with this contract back in October... I would feel pretty uneasy about this, you know, getting pen to paper. Not that there's any question about the player and not that there's any question about the person. I just think the last spot you want to be in is inking this player to a long-term deal and a year and a half in when there's potentially more pain on the horizon in -hmm. terms of getting this team to where you want to get it to that he then says, you know what? I, I, I want out now. I, you know, this, this was a mistake and I shouldn't have signed here and I'd rather, you know, get me to the U S that part would leave me with a pit in my stomach. You know, even if you're happy to sign the deal mm-hmm. and even if you're happy with the player. Now, let me add in a third wrinkle to this, which is you also don't really know what the market is like for Hannafin and when I say that, I mean trade market. Like, no one really came forward as we got to the draft last year and knocked yep. the Flames' socks off. And so that's the other part of this. Like, if you're really not getting a lot, which I'm not saying they're not, they may, they may potentially get a, a great price for him and should. But if you're not, then maybe that changes the calculus on the second part of what I was saying about the uneasiness. Maybe you just take, you know, the the bird in hand, so to speak, and and you know, play him as long as you can before getting to that point. And by the way, uh, Noah Hannafin ranked number five on Frank's latest trade board, which is out now over a daily faceoff. The January edition of the trade targets, which uh, spans all the way to 25 deep. Uh, number five is Noah Hannafin. Number one is Elias Lindholm, and number three is Chris Tanev. What are the uh, what are the streets telling you about Lindholm and Tanev? and where things might sit or might be going there. Is there much buzz out there about those two? Yeah, I think there's a pretty considerable amount. I think Craig Conroy's phone has been ringing pretty consistently. I think there's a lot of people or other managers around the league that want to be kept abreast of the situation and the developments. I also think 
that at least last time I checked, um, which was recently, that the Flames didn't have anything necessarily front burner um, on those plays. Lots of interest, but nothing that had been brought to the table of yet that had really even made them think. So um, they've got 60 days from today to get that answer and get the price that they want. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if something materialized over the next you know, two, three weeks before the calendar turns to February that someone wants to jump the market either on Tanev or Lindholm, even as disappointing production-wise as this season has been for Lindholm. Last one on the Flames, and, and you know, there, there's also a little bit of talk in this market about, well, maybe maybe keeping Tanev is, is something they should think about doing if they're going to go younger, having a guy, a, a pro like Tanev around, that there might be some value in that. And and my pushback on that has been okay, but, like, would he be okay signing a two-year contract? And is, is that something that he'd be okay doing? Because I wouldn't be as comfortable going, say, a four-year deal like Tanev no. was most recently on. My, my question to you would be... I don't think he's going to get that anywhere, though. Okay, and that's what maybe, I was going to ask. Do you think that's out there for him? Okay. Yeah, maybe someone overpays and gives you a good Branson-like deal that you're just, like, over the moon happy with in order to, to get the player on the boat. But, I, I mean, like, love the player, love everything about his commitment and willingness to win and compete. I just... I'm seeing what everyone else is seeing, which is a guy that plays so hard that puts himself in harm's way almost every single time. Like the best comparison I have to Chris Tanev from a forward perspective is Wayne Simmons. And I I've really watched and followed Wayne Simmons closely uh, during his career in Philly. It spanned almost the time, you know, the whole time that I was there. Uh, covering the Flyers on a daily basis. And he had some magical seasons, and the Flames have gotten a lot out of him, and so did the Canucks. But when it went, it went fast. And it was right. like off a cliff for Wayne Simmons. And I'm I'm not saying or predicting that's going to be the case for Chris Tanev, but Wayne Simmons was kind of out of the league by 33. And Tanev is in a spot where, look, he's he's made it past there already, and, and he's, he's been for all of his sort of nicks and bumps and bruises and all the time that he spends, you know, it feels like once a game, you're kind of like, you know, your, your heart's in your throat. If you're Craig Conroy, where it seems like he's going down the tunnel to get something checked out, he's only missed 20 games as a flame. That's yep. it. Yep. And it feels like a lot more than that. Cause it feels like he's constantly getting pounded on, but I just, I think with him, you're going to see a pretty precipitous drop-off at some point. We are chatting with Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays, and uh, his latest trade targets with the trade deadline 60 days away is up right now at dailyfaceoff.com. Three flames in the top five. Um, I don't know if uh, either of... don't uh, have a Flames goalie on there, which that was one thing I kind of wrestled with. Yeah, I put Jacob Markstrom on the board. Should Dan Vladar be there? I figure I've got a couple weeks to investigate until the next board comes out. Well, and it keeps it. Do you keep on adding as well? Does it go to thirty next month? I'm gonna. I'm hoping to be at fifty by the time the deadline comes. Today was our sixty-day countdown. So yeah, sixty. It's a leap year, so it's uh, it's sixty days till uh, March eighth. Today's Jan nine. 
and uh, I'd, I'd love to be at 50 by the time we get there. Okay. Okay. Well, then that that would make it a little easier to get a Flames goaltender in there as well. Well, that's just cheating. You put both on there? Like, come on. You don't have to put both on there, but you could get one of the two on. That's a weenie move. That's a weenie move. So you wouldn't you wouldn't just do like a hey one of the Flames goaltenders is one you of the spots. Could, but I did that with one of the Blue Jackets defensemen. But honestly, like when it comes to Markstrom, I I just we're seeing things as as well as he's played this year and has been the Flames MVP. We're seeing a real market correction in terms of what teams want to spend, and I just I have a right. hard time envisioning him right. and John Gibson with the term remaining with the dollars that someone is, is like, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah. No, I, and that that's, that's why if it happens, I still think off season seems more realistic. If, if it were to happen at all, um, just seems. And where are th- you at on Vladar's game? Yeah. Yeah. Which well, I'm asking you where, like, where are you? Where am I at? Um, better of late, not so great in Chicago on Sunday. And I don't know. I I still I still think there's a lot there. I still think the raw tools are there, but I I need to see a little bit more consistency in his game. It's been a couple of years now, going back to his first year with the Flames, that I've that I've really been like, oh, this guy is has looks like he's on the trajectory of being a possible number one. And I know goaltending is voodoo, and so I never make definitive claims because you, you go to another market and What's snap, it up. could be like, different. Yeah, exactly. But look, I just, look at, I, look at uh, Peter, I, like Peter Mrazek is on the board, and I made this point in the story, which is like two years ago he was left for dead by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. A salary cap dump that no one wanted anything to do with and now all of a sudden on one of the worst teams in the league, he's got an above league average save percentage and he's a pending free agent with none of those strings attached as some of the other guys that we just talked about that could be had for a song and a dance and that's it. Yeah. And they could yeah. probably retain half. Like, I mean, if I'm sitting out there going, hey, uh, I am Colorado, for instance, and I'm running Georgiev into the ground right now. I, I'd wanted one B that I feel pretty good about that can at least just take some of the heat off of him so that the Avs, as good as they are, don't run into a spot that the Flames ran into in the Battle of Alberta when they had a guy that played 60-plus games and just broke down. Yep, yep. Yeah, you don't want Georgiev to be that guy come. Knowing knowing what the Avs are solely focused on, you need a fresh Georgiev for the postseason. So, but what, um, what about the Oilers? What about the Devils? What about the Leafs? Like, yeah. There's so much of a need for goaltending that no one feels really good about anyone. Yep. Yeah. I want like, I, I do think that they would be able to trade Vladar. I just am not as confident that they'd be able to say recoup the, the third round pick that they paid to bring him in. I'm not as confident about that anymore as perhaps I was, you know, seven, eight, nine months ago. I, yeah, I was thinking, back in the summer that he was a second round pick all day long. And now when you have 40 consecutive games, essentially under 900, yep, you know, and pretty far South of 900 over these last two seasons, you know, it's, that's some tough sledding. It's eight ninety over the last 40 games. Yep. In um, a league where they just don't pay for goaltending. Yeah. 
especially as you talked about a market correction going on right now too. So, um, did you when you were writing your trade targets list? Um, did you at any point expect the names Jamie Drysdale or Cutter Goche to appear on there? Uh, because I can't remember a deal that got every caught everyone off guard. A, a deal this big that seemed to catch everybody in the hockey world off guard. Like there wasn't a sniff of this, unless I'm missing something. There wasn't a sniff of this anywhere. Yeah, I um I mentioned I messaged one of the principals involved today and I said, "Hey, um you know, it's super impressive that you guys were able to keep all this under the wraps, but that also probably means I'm bad at my job. So, don't don't comment." <laughs> um and I I do like I feel shame of like, "Hey, this is, you know, this is my job as an insider. You can't you can't know everything about all 32 teams, but I did have some eyebrows raised last year when Cutter Gauthier didn't show up to development camp. I went back and looked through my text messages. July 5th, I fired off a bunch of them asking what's going on. And to the best that anyone could provide for me, it was like, hey, this guy's played a lot of hockey. We can't really get an answer as to why he doesn't want to be here, but you know, we're hopeful that it'll change. And so I kind of just left it at that. I was thinking you know what, this is one of the very best prospects in the game. Like we're talking, uh, Steven Ellis, our guy at Daily Faceoff, has him the third best overall prospect in the NHL. Like that's a big deal. And to think that the Flyers kind of just got to this point and decided to pull the trigger and cut bait, like, no, I did not see that coming. Uh, The backstory is kind of fascinating. I mean – it had gotten pretty ugly to the point where even at the draft last year, and I didn't pick up on this, that teams were contacting the Flyers saying, hey, we hear that Cutter Gauthier isn't happy. Is there any chance we could make a deal? And the Flyers kind of blew them off at the time saying, no, no, like we'll figure this out. We'll get it fixed. That was their belief. And that belief went all the way up until Danny Briere and Keith Jones, their GM and president, flew to Sweden over the holidays to just try and get a meeting with Gauthier and and get things back on the rails and sell him on being a flyer. And he wouldn't even take the meeting. It went further than that. The Flyers sent Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire both on their development staff. Both have won Stanley Cups to Boston College to watch him play and to talk to him. And instead, Gauthier sent his coach out to tell them, hey, appreciate you coming, but he doesn't want to talk to you or the flyers. And that has left everyone kind of shrugging. Like what exactly is the story here? Why do you hate us so much? And I've got to say as not just a Philadelphian, but someone that has covered this league for 15 years now. And I was a, you know, a lifelong resident before that. I've never seen anyone say no to the flyers. Like they're usually in the top five on free agents lists. It's a, it's a top three sports city. And yeah, the franchise has fallen on some hard times. They lost themselves a bit over the last few years, but they treat their players like gold. They have every amenity, uh, you know, available to them. I just, the whole thing has really, really surprised me and many people around the league. Like they, some people view the Flyers as a crown jewel, original seven, quote-unquote, franchise that right. has had a ton of success in the NHL. 
So do you have any idea what soured it? Like, where did the relationship start going downhill? Is there any any idea as to how this got to this point? That's the part that no one can really figure out because the Flyers never got an answer. Like, he never said to them, I'm really mad about X, and that's it. That totally changed everything. There's been lots of speculation over the last 24 hours about, you know, maybe he didn't want to play for John Tortorella. Tortorella responded and said, I I don't know, cut her from a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, There was unfair blame shifted towards Kevin Hayes, who um, was sort of outcast by the Flyers last summer, a Boston College kid who, who, you know, some had purported that he had, you know, poisoned the well for Gauthier, which is just complete nonsense. And I think it's ridiculous how people react on social media. If you saw Kevin Hayes' quotes today in St. Louis about the death threats that he's received and death to his family threats, which is horrifying. And then there's some speculation out there about was Cutter Gauthier and his family upset about last season? Did he want to turn pro? And the Flyers had said to him, hey, look, um, you know, we want you to turn pro, but let's not burn the first year of your entry-level deal this year while we have some pain ahead, you know, can you finish out this year in the AHL? I don't know how true any of that is. And I suspect that the Flyers at this point would say, doesn't really matter. We got to the other side of World Junior and we felt like this was the best time to, you know, capitalize on his value after a near MVP tournament performance. And we got a player that we really like back in Jamie Drysdale. Well, what do you make of the actual deal itself uh, with with Drysdale and a second round pick being the uh, being the return for Goche? It seems like Danny Briere and the Flyers for a, uh, a situation that could have been kind of untenable feels like they did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you view Drysdale. I mean, I I, I like him. I think he's a good player. In talking to people I really trust that have seen him play really closely, they think his ceiling in the NHL is as a number two defenseman and as a right shot guy who already put up 32 points in an NHL season um, that can quarterback your power play. Like I, I think that's great. But the really tough part for the Flyers is twofold. One it's almost impossible to receive equal value back. And there is no such thing as a sure prospect, you know, a sure prospect that's a stone cold mortal lock. But for me, like I think Cutter Gauthier is on track to be a dominant force in the NHL. And with all due respect to Jamie Drysdale, like he just isn't that that's never going to be him. And that part is hard. And and you get a second round pick, which is basically like a, a flyer, you know, when it works in the NHL, like you're, you're talking like a 50, 50 shot at best that it works out. So that part is tough to swallow. Um, but the alternative is what you hang around and wait and bleed the situation out. It becomes drama filled. You have cutter Gauthier who wants to turn pro at the end of this NCAA season. Most likely you have a clock that you're dealing with. The flyers would hold his rights until, August 15th of 2026. It's really not a great situation to be in. And so I think all things 
said it, you know, it's a respectable job, but the other part is you just don't know what else might've materialized out there. Had you really, you know, gone to gone to medieval stages to try and make this as awkward as possible. Right. Um, and then the, the, you know, the duck situation is fascinating too, because, you know, the, the contract negotiations most recently for Drysdale were quite interesting with new GM Pat Verbeek, and it kind of gave you the feel that, okay, does Verbeek see Drysdale as, as a clear, no questions asked core player? And the same can be true about Trevor Zegers, who just happens to headline your trade targets uh, piece today and slot in at number four on your list. Is Zegris next up as the Ducks continue to maybe be reshaped here and, and Verbeek looks to put his stamp on the organization? That's what a lot of people are thinking. That, for one, the negotiation that was a knockdown, drag-out fight between Zegris and the Ducks and also Drysdale and the Ducks. You know, just a quick backstory on Drysdale is he didn't have any leverage and he was dealing with a basically season-long injury last year that he had worked his way back, and he wanted to get to 10 games played for an accrued professional season. And I think they were really upset that the Ducks limited him to eight games. I think then to go through the process and miss almost all of training camp, which Zegris and Drysdale basically did, Mm it made for a really tough summer. And then Zegris goes through this fight, gets a bridge deal after back-to-back 60-point seasons, one of the most creative players in the league. And all we've heard from, you know, people that are around the Anaheim organization is that Pat Verbeek doesn't really like Trevor Zegris' style in terms of how he doesn't see it meshing with how he envisions the Ducks playing. And... Now that they've got Gauthier to add to the list to Leo Carlson, who appears to be an absolute stud as well, plus uh, Mason McTavish, who's coming into his own, that maybe they've now opened the door for Pat Verbeek to you know, go in a different direction with Zegris, who's had a tough start to this year with an injury and just one goal in his first 12 games of the year before that injury. So sources say that... Um, Pat Verbeek in conversations with teams this season has dangled the name of, of Trevor Zegras. And I don't think anything's imminent by any stretch, but it's really just a newsflash to say, Hey, Trevor Zegras is available. Doesn't mean he's leaving, but um, I could imagine there was some part of Trevor Zegras saying to, uh, to Jamie Drysdale as they were saying their goodbyes yesterday to really close friends. Hey, take me with you. Huh. Well, uh, there was a lot there, Frankie. We'll let you go. We didn't even touch on uh, an $11.5 million annual uh, average uh, average annual value for William Nylander. There's lots of other That's stuff to news. get to. Uh, it is kind of old news. We can dive in on the uh, rest of those trade targets next week as well. Uh, great stuff, pal. Really appreciate the insight as always. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, hey? Okay, sounds good. Have a good one, Pat.
You too. That is Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider, and he joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Pretty good way to kick off the hour. Some uh, Flames insight on Hannafin, Lindholm, uh, Tanev, and even the goaltenders, Cutter Goche, Jamie Drysdale, and Trevor Zegris. We hit it all with Frank Saravalli, and he joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Come on in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza. 403-248-3344. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, time for a Tuesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable. Now brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Pat Steinberg. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media is with us. Hello, Wes. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the hour of Flames Talk. Hello, buddy. How are we? I, uh, we're doing well. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Flames getting set to take on the Ottawa Senators on Tuesday night. And a uh, couple of significant lineup notes that uh, we'll dive into on uh, this roundtable. And we'll start with the positive one, and that is an NHL debut. Yan Kuznetsov did not get in to either game on the road. The Flames decided not to play him in either Philadelphia or Chicago. He didn't have the opportunity to get a practice in or even a morning skate in, but uh, Tuesday morning at morning skate was very clear that he was going to jump in on the third pairing with Nick Simone against the Senators. Gents, what do we think of the, the decision for now to be Yan Kuznetsov's NHL debut? Well, I'm excited for Yan. Obviously, uh, he's worked uh, really hard to get here, and uh, he's a promising young prospect for this team. Second round pick, 50th overall back in 2020, and uh, the one thing that jumped out to me when he was doing media availability inside the dressing room today is how big the kid is. Six foot four, 209 pounds, and at 21, still plenty of room to grow. And I know he didn't uh, get into any practices or morning skates or games during that uh, road trip, but what I'm sure he did uh, take part in uh, was team meetings, uh, probably watched some video. So that would be one way to kind of get up to speed on, on how the Flames play, which is very similar to how the Wranglers play, but just how things are done at the NHL level. And anxious to see how he looks on uh, the third pairing with Nick Simone tonight. Uh, but big uh, night for the kid, and I'm excited to see him. Yeah, I'm excited to see him too. And I think, you know, if you're a Flames fan, hanging on to tickets, excited to get to the Saddle Dome tonight, or even if you're you're planning to watch on TV or, or listen to Wilsey on the call, this is an important thing to remember about Jan Kuznetsov. If you don't notice him, things are probably going pretty well. This is a guy whose game needs to be kept simple. He is the absolute sort of definition of a stay-at-home defenseman. He's not going to wow you with offense. You're not going to see a uh, Michigan goal out of Jan Kuznetsov. <laughs> but uh, what an exciting moment for the 21-year-old. You know, there, there are not many things that I enjoy watching more than the solo lap at the start of pregame warm-ups. And, and just a, a really cool, obviously, night for Jan, but also a reward for the hard work that he's put in, and that has included consecutive summers of staying in Calgary as opposed to going home to Russia to work out with the Flames strength and conditioning staff. We're talking about a young man who has spent a whole lot of time away from his family 
chasing exactly what he's going to accomplish tonight, and that's to play his first NHL game. You know, I think when you analyze the sort of on-ice work, his challenge is going to be very similar to what we've talked about with Ilya Slovyov. You know, this is this is a guy whose challenge is going to be to do things at an NHL speed, and that doesn't just mean skating. That's just thinking the game, processing it, outletting it as quickly as you need to do to be successful at the NHL level. I think tonight that's going to be the key for Kuznetsov if he wants to play a second game on Thursday. The, uh, I mean, the timing, when you think about it, makes sense. Um, and I know he was sent down Sunday and, and recalled, uh, sorry, sent down Monday and recalled Tuesday, but essentially this has been, uh, he's he's been with the team, and um, and I know he practiced yesterday, Monday, with the Wranglers, but if, if we consider this a four- or five-day recall now, you know, when you, you think about it, and we talked about this last week, it, it felt like decent chance, just knowing the way the Flames have gone about their business, that they, they would give him a game at some point. And now you take a look at the way things have gone. Well, now he's had an opportunity to get a morning skate in, which helps. And you think about two games on the road and now one game at home, this seems maybe like a, a better spot too because if you're Ryan Huska, you control matchups and have a little more control as to who you're putting your third pairing out against and there's less of an opportunity for the opposing team to target that third pairing. And and you also saw you know Jordan Osterley and Nick DeSimone in a couple of games to wrap up that road trip not have very good games. I mean, um, and, and that's not just on Osterley, who's the guy who's coming out, I'm saying as a pairing. I mean, that first goal against Chicago, they struggled. That game against Philadelphia, the pairing struggled. But, you know, what I'm curious about is because of, you know, Kuznetsov's a very different player than Osterley. Osterley's a guy who relies on his skating and, and relies on kind of being a puck transporter at times. That's that's Osterley, and he can be a little bit more high risk in the way that he plays, and that's not Kuznetsov if he's playing the way that that he needs to play if he's going to give himself a chance to succeed in game one in the NHL. So I wonder, knowing the way Simone plays and knowing that they have spent time together in the American League before, I actually wonder if there might be a, a slightly better fit watching these two guys play together. So all those things combined, yeah, and the timing just makes sense for Jan to get into game number one. I'm, I'm interested to see. And Wes, uh, you talked about how he spent the last couple of off-seasons in Calgary uh, working with the Flames strength and conditioning guys. Well, he also came over to North America as a pretty young man. You know, He's 21. He came here in 2018-2019 and played one season in the USHL. And then his path to the NHL was kind of a weird one because of the pandemic. So he did wind up playing at least parts of two seasons with the University of Connecticut Huskies, but actually split the 2021-2020, or sorry, 2020-2021 season between the NCAA and the AHL, which is strange. But he did play in six games with the Stockton Heat. And then the next season, he split that between the QMJHL, where he won a Memorial Cup with the St. John Sea Dogs, and also got into 12 games with the Stockton Heat. So uh, his road uh, to the NHL was a weird one, a little bit normal, uh, more normal at least the last couple of years of playing for the Calgary Wranglers. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, a big young man, and uh, we'll see if he can just keep it simple, play his game, and uh, have some success. Uh, probably playing, I don't know, around 10, 12 minutes in his NHL debut tonight. It's a good chance, right, to put – I'm going to say put himself on the radar, which hardly 
sounds fair when you're talking about a guy who's about to make his NHL debut, but it, you know he's, I suppose, benefited, if that's the right way to put it, from an injury to Jeremy Poirier, who just happened actually to be his teammate for that Memorial Cup yep. run in St. John of the, the Q. Jeremy Poirier, for those who've maybe forgotten, uh, was stepped on by a skate early in the season with the Calgary Wranglers, remains out. Uh, that laceration required surgery, still a long ways from returning. So Jan Kuznetsov w- was probably not at the top of anyone's list uh, of left-handed options on the Flames, you know, among the Flames' blue line prospects. But, you know, Ilya Solovyov has had his chance, perhaps didn't do enough with it to earn this latest recall. And so this is a chance for Jan Kuznetsov to maybe open some eyes among the higher-ups that, hey, I am closer than maybe some have thought to being ready to help at the NHL level. I'm a guy who should be on your radar as you ponder your trade options, as you think about what the... I suppose face or, or future of your blue line might be beyond this season. It's a, it, I don't want to put too much on one night because this is a guy who's going to be a bundle of nerves, but this is a really nice opportunity for him to sort of send a message that, Hey, I can be a part of this. Excited to see as he will make his NHL debut Tuesday against the Ottawa Senators. And at the same time, for the first time in nearly three years, the spring of 2021, during the 56-game season after Daryl Sutter had taken over as head coach of the Calgary Flames, that was the last time Dylan Dubé has been a healthy scratch. And uh, Dubé, who has gone 20 consecutive games without a point, will not play against Against the Ottawa Senators, he's going to uh, come out of the lineup. It looks like on Tuesday night, gents. Just uh, what's our reaction to seeing Dylan Dubé scratch for the first time in almost three years? I'm not surprised. Uh, you, you could see it coming, and as we've talked about over the last week or so, I think the fact that uh, some guys were injured has given some other guys uh, a little bit longer leash in some cases. And in Dylan Dubé's case, a lot longer leash uh, because they didn't uh, have Kevin Rooney, who could play fourth-line center, or Jacob Peltier, who can play probably anywhere in your lineup at this point uh, once he gets uh, up to full speed. So for Dylan Dubé, I think it's a great opportunity to hit the reset button. And I don't know if that's mentally or physically, maybe a little bit of both, but I'm not going to lie, guys. I predicted that Dylan Dubé would have a career year three years in a row and he didn't disappoint me the last couple of seasons he had a career high 18 goals and 45 points playing in all two 82 games that season and then he goes home for the summer and he wasn't far from Calgary either and and once again working with the Flames strength and conditioning coaches and has another great offseason finishes first in fitness testing for the third consecutive season and I was expecting 20 plus goals 50 plus points from Dylan Dubé this season and I don't know why it hasn't worked. Uh, Pat, you pointed out the 20-game pointless streak dating back to November 24th, uh, a 24-game goalless streak dating back to November 16th, only one assist during that stretch of games. And right now he's on pace for six goals and 14 points, which would be the lowest uh, of his NHL career, at least as a full-time player. So we know Dylan can play at a much higher level and be much more productive than he's been this season the one thing i'll say in his defense and it's i guess kind of in his defense because if he was playing better he'd be getting more ice time but 
He's played primarily in a fourth line role this season. So, you know, for a guy like Dubé, who's played higher up the lineup for, for quite some time, that's probably been a difficult adjustment for him. It's probably been difficult to, to just be at your best, you know, playing less than 10 minutes on a lot of nights and, and playing with players who, let's be honest, aren't quite as skilled as the guys who he would be playing with and is used to playing with in, in the top six or top nine. So, uh, hopefully this gets him going, but we know he can play at a much higher level than what we've seen on most nights. I think the work's been there in almost every game this season, but boy, this guy needs a goal or a point uh, as badly as maybe anybody in the league right now. And hopefully he gets uh, one or both of those things when he comes back. I don't think any of us, uh, as you pointed out, Wilsey, I don't think any of us were surprised to see the line rushes this morning and for it to be, I guess, sort of revealed in that moment that Dylan Dubé would be out of the Flames lineup at a healthy scratch the first time in, in close to three full seasons now. And it it was coming. And every time that Adam Ruzichka came out, you kind of wondered when it would be Dylan Dubé's turn because the, I, I suppose they've been equally ineffective. You know, two guys who are easy to put in the same conversation because you're sort of puzzled by the lack of production and also just the lack of quality minutes that they've given the Calgary Flames. You know, the reason Dylan Dubé's ice time has diminished to the point it has is because Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil came up from the Calgary Wranglers and quite simply bumped Dylan and Adam Ruzichka down the depth chart. And they've outplayed them since. You know, that they're... There's opportunity, I, I suppose, if you want to put it that way, for those more established guys to win those spots back, and we haven't seen it. We, we've seen Connors area and Martin Pospisil consistently outplay them. You know, I, I know that Dylan Dubé's minutes are down, but if, if you go to Natural Statric and, and look at points per 60, you know, he's like 400-something in the league in that category. He, he's lumped with a, a bunch of defensemen tip you know that that's where you see guys with the sort of numbers we've seen from Dylan Dubé and so I know he's frustrated by the the lack of production and and I really do see tonight not so much as a message from Ryan Huska and the coaching staff but just as a okay let's try this you know let let's try and help him reset by just taking him out of the lineup for a night or or maybe two nights and see if that can get him going in the right direction because to this point, yeah, nothing else has worked. Yeah, um, it's it's one of the more baffling um, one of the more baffling things that we've seen this season, guys. I mean, forty five points. You, you don't you don't necessarily, and it wasn't like that just came out of nowhere, Willsey. To your point, it was a step from the year before. And you go 18 goals and 45 points, you don't just kind of stumble into that. He had a good year last year. And, Wes, you talk about things like points per 60 and goals per 60 and assists per 60, like in, in both points and assists per 60, he was one of the best players on the team. Five on five, he was one of their most productive players last year. And you go from that to the struggles that he's had this year. It is it is hard to wrap your head around. It feels like this has been a long time coming, guys, and and – I, I think the hope is absolutely what you just talked about, Wilsey, whether it's a game, whether it's two games, however long Dylan does end up sitting out here for, uh, you're, you're hoping that this can be 
the the mental reset that he needs to to go back out there and and maybe be a little more effective. And and it is definitely not easy to be as effective as you want to be playing seven, eight, nine minutes a night. There's no doubt about it. But you know if if this can serve as a reset, then that can be a a, a positive because. A much better Dylan Dubé just gives this team that much more depth, and you know that 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 has been something that has been hard to wrap your head around because it's not just like he's only struggled playing fourth line minutes; he's had opportunities elsewhere in the lineup and hasn't necessarily grasped those opportunities so far this year. I, I still. I still believe there's a really good player in there. I don't think you go from having career years and back-to-back 18-goal seasons and a 45-point campaign in the NHL, and then suddenly just you don't play anymore and and you're you're you know you you just forgotten how to play the sport. But I I do think a reset is important here, and and I'm curious the way that he uses it. Yeah, I mean, and he's 25 years old. We're not talking about a player who's 30 or 35 and who may be over the hill. I mean, he should just be entering the prime of his career right now. And uh, again, it's not like he didn't do the work during the offseason, guys. He once again, for a third straight year, finished first in fitness testing. And I thought that would be a springboard for him to have uh, another career year. But it hasn't gone that way. And never in a million years did I think that Dylan Dubé was going to be primarily a fourth-line player for this team moving forward or would be pointless in 20 and goalless in 24 and have three goals and seven points in the first 39 games he's played in this season. Just didn't see it coming. And I'm like you, Pat. I still think there's a good player in there. And confidence has to be low. Frustration has to be high, although – now, we see him in the dressing room, and uh, he's always got a smile on his face because that's just who Dylan Dubé is. So you know, I feel for him because he's also playing close to home, born in Golden, but raised right next door to Calgary and Cochrane. So family and friends are at lots of games and watching all the games or listening to all the games. So uh, he's probably feeling some pressure uh, internally and externally right now. So I'm hoping this reset, whether it's a game or more, uh, gets him going again because I still think that he has an opportunity to become a real pillar for this team, which is what I thought he was when the season started. It hasn't gone that way in the first half, but it doesn't mean that uh, it can't turn and, and start to go that way in the second half. And I just add quickly, based on what we heard this morning from the head coach, I, I do believe Ryan Huska still thinks that as well. You know, when, yeah. when I asked him, well, oh, what haven't you been getting enough of from Dylan Dubé? You know, he said he just hasn't been the Dylan Dubé that we know he's capable of being. You know, the Dylan Dubé knows there's more there, and and not just production-wise. The Calgary Flames believe that there's more there, and not just production-wise. And this is a step to to try and I, I suppose get him back on the the right track to finding that. Yep. Thank you, Wilsey. See you in a little bit. Okay. We'll see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to uh, Cam Hughes and Shan Virgie, our outstanding producers as well. Wes Gilbertson is on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. And uh, we wrap up with the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why minutes from the Calgary Airport. 